0: Hello, today is Monday, February 26, 2024. Arlene Ford and reading the front pages of the Hartford Current and New York Times with me today is Lou Mirando. Let's begin by taking a look at the photos on the front page of the Hartford Current. The primary picture on the front page of the Current, we're looking at a gentleman uh, with a blue shirt on, he's wearing glasses and he's holding uh, coffee, a bag of coffee, in his hand. And I'll read the caption, and it says, Kyle Mayer, owner of the Petrol Cafe, talks about the Fuel America coffee that he will be serving at his new coffee shop and bar at 1429 Park Street in the Parkville section of Hartford. And that picture is one of three That's tied into a story that we will be doing regarding Parkville projects. Now, the next photo, we're looking at 1429 Park Street, which is located in the Parkville section of Hartford. And here you can see a sign that says uh, the number 1429. Then you see a sign that says Apartments. And it's giving us a view down the street. And it's just showing some buildings. Next, we look at Real Artways which is located at 56 Arbor Street. And that was built back in 1917. And the owner, of course, is Real Artways. And the original use of that building was the uh, Underwood Typewriter Company Factory. And the project that's proposed is going to be an expansion of the Contemporary Arts Organization, and it will include the addition of three movie screens, a dedicated area for the performing arts, arts, a new cafe with a kitchen, and more space for educational programs. And they're showing a drawing of what the proposed new real artways would look like. Then we move on to the last photo, which is 17 to 35 Bartholomew Avenue. And there's a rendering of the building there that shows how an apartment development near the corner of Park Street and Bartholomew Avenue in Hartford would in the Parkville neighborhood would look. And as I say, we'll be doing a story on that later on in the broadcast, and you'll be getting more details. But now let's go over to Lou for the photos on the front page of the New York Times.
1: Thank you, Arlene. This is the; These are the pictures on the front page of the New York Times for Monday... Th- February 26, 2024. The first big picture is that of a young mother holding her one-year-old um, male s- uh, son, and he's getting an ear examination by a doctor in a clinic called Bethesda Pediatrics in Tyler, Texas. This is a clinic that is um, basically a, cl- a program for the poor, and um, most of the clients in this clinic are on Medicaid, and the story goes on about how this child has lost Medicaid coverage because of changes in the laws. And we're going to have a story on that. Then the next picture is, is that of Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and she's the Democratic governor of, of Michigan. And her job is to m- keep a Democratic Michigan uh, ready to vote for Joe Biden. And uh, there's a extensive effort to make sure that, um, she, that they, it doesn't go Republican, and they've opened up a lot of new health clinics because they have a lot of immigrants coming into the state of Michigan. And then the third group of pictures is that of some people playing silly games in Florida, of all places. And uh, and we're going to have a story on that. But it's basically a man named Pete Melfi who created the laziest race of races. And, um, and they do everything from f- sumo wrestling with inner tubes to... Um, uh, mud wrestling with uh, pool noodles, and evading arrest obstacle course with deputies pursuing contest- uh, contestants. And the one picture they show for a Florida madam pitcher is a woman with uh, her hair in curlers, but the curlers are not the normal curlers. They're in empty beer cans. So that's the pictures on the front page of the New York Times. Let's go to Ar- Arlene now for the lead story in Harford Current. Haley,
0: rolling with defeat, vows to fight on in Michigan. Tuesday's primary to test her and give insights for Biden. This is out of Troy, Michigan. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley says it's not the end of our story, despite former President Donald Trump's easy primary victory in South Carolina, her home state where the one-time governor had long suggested her competitiveness with Trump would show. Defying calls from South Carolina Republicans to exit the race, Haley planned to travel Sunday to Michigan, which holds its primary on Tuesday. With his win Saturday in the first in the South contest, Trump has now swept every primary or caucus on the GOP early season calendar that awards delegates. His performances have left little maneuvering room for Haley, his former U.N. ambassador. I have never seen the Republican Party so unified as it is right now, Trump said in a victory night celebration in Columbia, South Carolina. Haley insists she is sticking around even with the growing pressure to abandon her candidacy and let Trump focus entirely on Democratic President Joe Biden in a 2020 rematch. In addition to the rally in vote-rich Oakland County, Michigan, northwest of Detroit on Sunday evening, she scheduled a Monday event in Grand Rapids, a western Michigan Republican hub. I'm grateful that today is not the end of our story, Haley told supporters Saturday. We'll keep fighting for America, and we won't rest until America wins. Haley has pledged to keep going through at least a dozen or so primaries on March 5th, known as Super Tuesday. Michigan's presidential primaries ahead of those contests. It's Tuesday voting will offer a serious test of President Joe Biden's ability to navigate dissent within the Democratic Party over his response to Israel's war with Hamas. Trump is looking for another primary win that would add to his sweep of the early voting states and move him that much closer to becoming his party's nominee. The results this Tuesday will be closely watched for any clues about where Michigan is trending before the November election. With a narrow win in 2016, Trump became the first Republican presidential candidate to carry the state since 1988, securing his path to the White House. Biden reclaimed the state for Democrats in 2020, contributing to his defeat of Trump. In the Michigan primary, Biden is facing minimal opposition from Democrats, and his grip on the nomination is not in doubt. But primary voters in Michigan can pick uncommitted, which could give some in his party the option of casting essentially a protest vote.
1: Zelensky says Ukraine has lost 31,000 troops in two years of fighting by Charlotte Gall, and Constant Mehut. This is out of Kiev. Some 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed since Russia's full-scale invasion began two years ago, President Vladimir Zelensky said on Sunday, acknowledging for the first time in the war a concrete figure for Ukraine's toll. This is a big loss for us, Mr. Zelensky said at a news conference in Kiev, but he declined to disclose the number of wounded or missing, saying that Russia could use the information to gauge the number of Ukraine's active forces. Mr. Zelensky tallied could not be independently verified. It depends sharply from estimates by U.S. Sold, or U.S. officials, who this past summer put the losses much higher, saying that close to seventy thousand Ukrainians had been killed and a hundred thousand, hundred twenty thousand had been wounded. Russia's military casualties, the officials say, were almost twice as high. By revealing Ukraine's losses, Mr. Zelensky said he wanted to counter Russian propaganda and under uh, other estimates that have been placed placing Ukrainian casualties at a much higher rate. He said Russia had wrongly claimed that Ukraine had lost 60,000 soldiers. Mr. Zelensky's unusual acknowledgement came that his country's armed forces have been on the defensive, running low on manpower and ammunition along most of the 600-mile front line, with Russian troops pressing attacks in the east and south. A week ago, Moscow captured the city of Avikata, The Ukrainian stronghold in the east and its troops have been slowly pushing westward in recent days, trying to build on their momentum in the area. Ukraine's top general, Olsandr Zelitsky, said he had ordered his troops to withdraw from Avikata to preserve the lives and health of the soldiers, which he described as the army's highest value. The president, a comedian and television presenter by profession, appeared relaxed and positive, turning serious when talking of civilian suffering and military casualties, but he was more lighthearted and would break into English at times when speaking directly to journalists. When asked by one reporter whether he would answer a call from Putin to his cell phone, Mr. Zelensky quipped back, I don't have a cell phone, drawing laughs in the conference room. The president was also asked about a poll showing that an increasing share of Canadians, about 25%, thought Ottawa was giving too much money to Ukraine. So 70% said you have to give more, he answered. The only time Mr. Zelensky appeared uncomfortable was when he was asked about his removal this month of the Popular Army commander, General Valery Zakouvi, and the appointment of General zhitsky as his replacement. The president declined to talk about an internal matter and added that further decisions would wait until the new command had fully reviewed the situation on the battlefield and in the armed forces.
0: Man's irregular heartbeat kept worsening. Yukon doc did cutting edge procedure that's helped a lot. It is a common form of irregular heartbeat, but it can cause a stroke, and for many, there are no symptoms. But for Pete Delisle, the symptoms of atrial fibrillation or afib were all too obvious, and they were severely cramping his style, especially with two young grandchildren. About two years ago now, I started to suffer a real debilitating series of episodes with afib where my heartbeat was very, very irregular and sporadic, said Delisle, 74, of Torrington. And so I suffered all the classic symptoms of fatigue, of weariness, dizziness, elevated heartbeat, not too much shortness of breath, but all of those things combined caused me to feel just cut literally out of gas. Couldn't walk a 100 feet without having to stop and kind of collect myself, he said." i found myself relying on a cane to ensure that i had an appropriate third point of balance this is a man who teaches executive education at the university of notre dame and the university of texas so he's often on airplanes walking from one gate to another was wearing him out according to the centers of disease control and prevention there are four hundred fifty four thousand hospitalizations for afib each year in the United States, and it contributes to more than 158,000 deaths annually. It's most common in the South. AFib risk increases with age. The condition adds to stroke risk and causes about one in seven strokes, according to the CDC. High blood pressure causes about 20% of AFib cases. Delisle had a family history of heart problems. His father had open-heart surgery, and Delisle had his first episode about eight years ago. I didn't know what to call it at the time, he said. I went to the emergency room because my beat had elevated so high that I was disoriented, and they discovered it was atrial fibrillation. His condition was treated with medication, but his AFib simply got worse. As part of my various job assignments, I traveled extensively over the last five years. It's easy for me to travel over 100,000 miles for job assignments and travel and those types of things, and travel became problematic, Delisle said. And so I cut back my travel significantly over the last year and a half, but it was those types of things, he said. And we've got grand babies who are just energy machines they're just nonstop energy and being able to respond to their needs was really important and I just at that time just wanted to just sit that's when he met with Dr. Christopher Pickett co-director of the Heart Rhythm Program at UConn Health Pickett advised Delisle that his AFib had decreased his quality of life enough that he should consider it an ablation he underwent the procedure august thirtieth delisle said he feels better every day now i was at about twenty per cent capacity now i'm at about seventy per cent and i could feel more energy more capability every day he said so i've tried to get almost up to normal but we'll see how that works pickett said that while delisle had reached the point of needing an ablation The fun parts of managing atrial fibrillation is it's a really multifaceted management. Ablations are incredibly fascinating, technically advanced, really cutting-edge procedures, he said, but that's really only one component of care of patients with atrial fibrillation. The other reason is that care of patients with AFib also encompasses the most basic stuff about having a healthy lifestyle, exercising, managing weight, minimizing alcohol, managing other more routine conditions like high blood pressure or sleep apnea, Pickett said. Another feature of AFib is one patient is miserable with their atrial fibrillation and one patient has no symptoms, Pickett said. The latter patient may not know until they go for a physical and it's picked up on an EKG.
1: Program to relocate migrants outside the New York City is Struggling by Dana Rubenstein, Andy Newman, and Wesley Parnell. In a tiny suburban apartment complex on Long Island, A Venezuelan mother of two surveyed her new home and declared herself blessed. Suri Saray Espini and her family had spent 13 months in a homeless shelter in New York City. Now, in early February, they were moving into a one-bedroom in central Islip with a galley kitchen and access to a swimming pool. Best of all, the state would pay their rent for a year through a resettlement program designed to house 1,250 migrant families at a fraction of the cost of keeping them in New York City's overflowing shelters. The state's migrant relocation assistance program has failed to live up to expectations, moving only 174 households into permanent homes outside New York City since it began last July. Man, do I wish the program was working better, Jackie Bray, the state's emergency services commissioner, said in November. That program is not at the point that it's succeeding, and that's a huge disappointment to us. By contrast, the state of Illinois, which began a comparable program in December of 2022, says it has moved 4,697 households into apartments, 25 times as many as New York. The New York program differs in many ways from Illinois' New York limits participation to families with children who have filed for asylum and are on track for work authorization. It aims to move migrants outside New York City, whereas the Illinois program, which has since been curtailed, lets migrants resettle in Chicago. It remains unclear what will happen once the program's short-term subsidy expires. New York's program was intended to chip away at a migrant shelter population that stands at around 65,000 people, including 15,000 families. As the crisis approaches its two-year anniversary, the influx is a product of increased border crossings, paralysis in Washington, and New York's rule requiring it to offer a bed to every homeless person. But several factors are keeping the program from shifting it to higher gear, according to state and city officials and the local nonprofits that try to match migrants with apartments. Many migrants do not want to leave the city. Many suburban and rural counties are unwilling to take them in. Across the state, there is a shortage of affordable housing. And for the program to work, rents must be low enough that when the state stops paying, the family can shoulder the burden. Officials in the administration of Mayor Eric Adams of New York City have voiced impatience over the slow rollout. The state should think innovatively about it. If this doesn't seem like it's working, what's next? Deputy Mayor Ann Williams-Eisen said in January, like, you can't just say my plan A doesn't work, and so I'm throwing my hands up. What's plan B and what's plan C? The state says it was tried to make the program more appealing to migrants and landlords who might reasonably worry about whether tenants will be able to pay rent once the subsidy ends. New York is offering landlords bonuses of up to $15,000, and it has made marketing videos selling distant counties to migrants. Landlords, she said, know that this immigrant community is going to work hard to keep its obligations, and they may end up having tenants for the next 25 years. Ms. Bracco says she did not expect the requirement of steady employment to be an obstacle. There is absolutely a thirst and a need for this workforce, she said, in jobs including construction, health care, and domestic work. One recent arrival in Westchester is Nayib Asanam, a 37, an engineer from Afghanistan who fled the Taliban and with his family undertook a journey of biblical dimensions. They walked for 40 days through mountains and deserts to reach Turkey, enduring nights so cold that they burned extra clothes to stay warm. They received visas to go to Brazil, lived at the airport of San Paulo, and then in a refugee camp in the jungle. After crossing the New York border, they lived in a shelter in New York City for six months and through the relocation program got an apartment this year in Osling. while waiting for his work permit mr Oslon volunteered with groups that help migrants resettle recently he started a job as a geotechnical engineer i don't have any words to express my feelings of how lucky we are